everybody, welcome to the Sally Allen Podcast. I am so glad you're here today. And as you know, we use this podcast as a platform for people to share their stories of resilience. And today I have a special guest who will be sharing his story with us. And I'm so excited to have Evan Hartzell on our podcast. Evan, welcome. Hey, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for you to share. But but a little intro on Evan. Evan is, Evan is the founder of Club Christ, and he's currently pastoring at the church at Lake Mead. Yeah, and I'm sure you're doing a lot more than that, but you're being honest when you give me that short bio. You know, my wife keeps me busy. <laughs> <laughs> All the things. I got three kids, you know. Yeah, two boys and a busy. girl. Two boys and a girl. And and yeah. yeah, yeah, they keep you busy. All right. So I, I did a little stalking. Sometimes I do use some stalking. Yeah. And I saw that you started Club Christ when you were still at UNLV. And before we started, you said you were 20 years old. And it's been 20 years. What propelled you to go into ministry at that young age? Yeah, and Club Christ is a unique ministry in the sense that what it is is a mentoring organization for kids, uh, essentially from K to 12th grade, in really tough neighborhoods. So like we have been in some of the most crime-ridden neighborhoods in Las Vegas. Uh, our very first center started off of Martin Luther King and Cary. So it's in a really hard, any, you know, it's typically, the joke is any uh, Martin Luther King Boulevard in any <laughs> town, it's a little rough, you know? And it really uh, has, it, it's always been designed really to just have a safe place for kids to go after school. Because often, you know, when kids get home and they're in an environment that's toxic, you know, and, you know, maybe they're in a neighborhood that, you know, typically has like gang violence mm -hmm. and drug abuse and different things like that, you know, their home isn't safe. You know, they come home and there may be an uncle sleeping on the couch uh, doing drugs or whatever there is, you know, in the, in the area. And uh, yeah, and so Club Christ became this this education center for kids. And it became just a really uh, great way to mentor young people into kind of just their their potential, right? And to remove any barriers from them reaching that potential. And yeah. and so that's that's Club Christ. Yeah. And yeah, I was a kid when I started it. I was just out of my teenage years. Uh, I was at UNLV, so, so that's here in Las Vegas. And before that, I really didn't have uh, you know, an aspiration to work with kids. Uh, I was the youngest of three and I'd grown up in a pretty sheltered environment, honestly. Like I had gone to Catholic school and uh, majority of the people in my, my class kind of all looked like me and didn't have, it wasn't very diverse. And so for me to step onto UNLV's campus, that was, you know, it opened my eyes to kind of how, how different the, the world is um, outside of my little bubble. And it really became a thing where I was like, hey, I'm open. Mm -hmm. I'm open to what's next, right? It's that kind of small sliver in your life where you're just like, I can be anything, you know? And you're trying to figure out what you're actually going to yeah. major in because you're paying money to go to the school, but you just don't have no idea, right? And uh, no, it was, it was a radical encounter with Jesus my mm -hmm. freshman year in college that reoriented my life to instead of being me focused to be others focused yeah because jesus has a tendency to do that right like he he's not content with leaving us with um our selfish agendas he he opens our eyes to the needs of the world and and, and just as he washes disciples feet he says go out there and do the dirty work you know to to love people well 
And I was inspired by that, honestly. I was yeah. I was really, really inspired to to make a difference. And it took just some, you know, some hard knocks and and some different opportunities too, uh, to really open my eyes to some of the need that I saw in the city. So, mm. but before you go into those needs and, and how you really got into it, what was your life like before Jesus? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it really was a, a good life in the sense that I had my mom and my dad at home growing up. We did go to church every Sunday, but honestly, it was really, it was, it was this box in my life that didn't get out, didn't affect me in my, my daily life. It was a thing I did. It wasn't who I was. Mm-hmm. And when my faith changed, it was, it was honestly in college, I became a part of this Christian organization called InterVarsity. And their goal is to disciple, uh, reach and disciple um, college students. And so they had been at UNLV for quite a while and I got involved and they invited me to a Bible study. And it was the first time, honestly, because I'd, I'd you know, grown up really in a church that didn't open the Bible much. Mm-hmm. And even though I went to even a, a, a religious school, they didn't necessarily encourage you to kind of like talk about the Bible with other yeah. people and do like a small group. And so I was in this small group. We were reading Luke 5, and it's the story of Jesus getting into Peter's boat and telling him to to go out and 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 catch some fish. And Peter explained to him, he's like, no, I have not caught anything. And I've been doing this all night. And Jesus is, is insists, you know, and so he puts the boat out, they throw the net out and this huge catch of fish um, gets in there. And immediately Peter just falls on his knees mm-hmm. and says, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And honestly, that that was my my real reality was even though I had kind of like this secure bubble that I'd grown up in, I didn't honestly, it wasn't real resiliency that I had. Mm. I was very fragile. My ego was very fragile. I was very insecure. And I didn't have a sense of who I was. And so when I encountered Jesus, you know, and I had all these Christians around me who were like really like confident and secure in who they were, it was intimidating a little bit because I was like, I do I really belong here? Yeah. You know, because I felt like a fraud, even though I was I was like acting the part. I would show up at these Christian events like I was drinking on the weekends and doing all the things that I knew I couldn't tell them about. And so it was really a thing where, you know, as Peter said, you know, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. It was like that 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 parallel in my life was like, God, I'm not good enough. I don't think I ever can be. I'm just broken. And uh, it. The thing that Jesus does next, though, is really incredible because Jesus looked at Peter and he says, do not be afraid. I will make you a fisher of men. And I remember hearing that. And for the first time in my life, I realized I have a purpose. It wasn't just, it wasn't just waking up, you know, doing my thing and, and going to bed. It, I had a higher calling. And that was to be a fisher of men. That meant that I could help people discover purpose and meaning in their life. And I could be a part of some, like making a difference, I guess, in the world. 
I love that, uh, living a purpose-driven life. Mm, totally. And when you find that purpose, nothing can stop you. Because yep. I, I think one of the things that I wrote down here is that if we don't expose our children to what's out there, you weren't exposed, then they won't know and they can't really find their purpose if they're living in that bubble. Yep. Right? So I, I love that you found that. Um, what? You, you, how did you find and, and you realize, okay, I have a purpose, make Fisher of Men. Yeah. How did you get there to say like, th- this is the need in this community and that's what I'm going to do? Yeah, it really was, you know, one of the things that I really recommend for young people is to expose yourself to as many service opportunities you can. Mm-hmm. And just do do every odd job, do every little thing mm-hmm. that you could do uh, in order to really just find out what your passion is. Mm-hmm. And, and and just because there's less responsibility in those younger years mm-hmm. to where like you're not working on 95, all that stuff. And so get involved, do more things. And I, I'm really like one of the things that, you know, I'm discouraged about in this next generation is the, the, the widespread apathy mm-hmm. that's, that's, really kind of like been accepted um, in our culture, this failure to launch, right? Concept of these these 25 year olds still stuck, you know, mm. essentially at home playing video games and they are just really apathetic, you know, about doing anything positive unless it like, you know, would boost their Instagram followers or something, you know, right, whatever, right, you know, yeah. and so, uh, you know, for me, like I, I, you know, I went on a mission trip. That was like my, my, my thing that moved me. And it was in a, it wasn't like overseas. It was really just to Fresno, California, which you wouldn't think it's the armpit of California, but it's, it's uh, one of the poorest cities in the nation. Yeah. And it's got, uh, it's a lot of needs. A lot of immigrant families have moved there. And I spent a summer really just serving at an after school program. I, uh, that was where I first discovered a model of ministry of like using an apartment to minister to an apartment complex that that's where like literally like all the families are yeah. and you just get access to their their world. And that's what we modeled Club Christ after. But like, yeah, I remember being on that mission trip and coming home and being ruined for the ordinary, right? Like it's like that itch you can't scratch. It's that thing that can't you can't shake that you're just not doing the thing you need to be doing, right? Like you're you're in your normal day to day, but you're like, man, there's something missing. Until you you find that, like you yeah. you know you you just can't 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 shake it and it, it wrecks you. It, does. it wrecks you. It, it wrecks really your does. heart. Yes, I get it. The first time I went to Cambodia when I came mm. out, it wrecked me because it was little children getting sex trafficked, mm. two years old. And I still can't talk about it without getting much. It wrecked me, and I came back, and what can I do? I can bring awareness to it because people yep. don't even know about it. So I get what you're saying. It just wrecks you. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's how God kind of uses these situations, yeah. right? <laughs> Wake us up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just putting our yes on the table, right? Like mm-hmm. showing up's half the battle. And, you know, me just being available that summer to serve changed my life and I came back with the burden to do something for kids uh in in hard neighborhoods yeah and you know I eventually essentially just got to the point where I wasn't doing anything so I just I just prayed and asked God to take the will and I literally just started driving around the city 
because inaction, right, isn't going to do anything That's if right. you just sit at home. And so it's like, you know, just let me get out there and see what happens. And literally the Lord uh, took the wheel. I ended up with a friend uh, at a church on D Street in Washington. And we talked to a pastor there that was like, hey, we're in the middle of like a 40-day prayer and fast thing as our church. And you showed up on our doorstep saying, you want to work with kids? I think this is an answer to prayer. And we're like, really? Like, you've been (laughs) praying for us? I don't even know who you are. And uh, we came the next morning, and he introduced us to their youth pastor at the time, which was working with another organization called YWAM, or Youth with a Mission. Mm -hmm. He was like, look, let me take you to this neighborhood. So we got in his car. We went to this neighborhood. He told this story. He said, and this is a neighborhood that was notorious in North Las Vegas for crime. So that police, the North Las Vegas police actually started a substation right in the middle of this apartment complex. Uh, When we were driving around, like literally every plant had died. So it's just dirt. Mm. Um, But there was like, there's something glistening, you know, all across the dirt. And I looked at it, I was like, oh, it was glass. It was broken bottles. And you had these little kids everywhere. And I didn't see any adults. And so you had all these kids just essentially just roaming the neighborhood. And I'm thinking, wow, like this is like a third world country. Like it really did look like something that was like out of a, a, a movie or something. And uh, my friend uh, who we just met that, that morning uh, says, look, I've been praying over this neighborhood for three years. I've been doing prayer walks where it, it was him and his friend. He's, he's African-American. He actually grew up in Africa, got sent him to the United States uh, to work as a missionary. He had been doing prayer walks with his friend who's Hispanic. And apparently that looked suspicious to the police. And so multiple times he had been <laughs> stopped, questioned, handcuffed, thrown against the hood of the car, oh yeah. like all this stuff from the police because, right, like in that neighborhood, that's right. essentially what was, was happening, some, some, you know, some, some bad stuff. And he was like, look, I've been praying for three years. The God will send someone who's willing to, to love these kids. Yeah. He said there are hundreds of kids here who need the gospel. They need someone to spend time with and they need someone to love them. Yeah. And you, I think God's, God sent you here. And I was mm. like, what? <laughs> me? Are you sure? <laughs> like, I don't know. I've been praying God, but you know, this is like real, right? This yeah, is like when it yeah. gets a little like risky yeah. in our faith. And um, I went home and fought it, honestly. Like, it's like one of those things where you're like, yeah, yeah, you know, it sounds so heroic, you know, how I stepped up. And I was not heroic. I was very like <laughs> cautious and like, I did not want to jump in. And uh, God just confirmed it. He actually took me to 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about, you know, if you do anything, like make sure you do it in love. love, And one of the things that really like, God was just like depositing this like truth in me, was that God loves those kids way more than I do. Oh yeah. And he's gonna bless the work of my hands, not because of me, it really in spite of me, it's because he loves the kids on the other side of the service that I was gonna be involved in. And not knowing that, you know, God was going to bless it. Club Christ was going to grow from this one little apartment complex to all across the city serving over 100 kids a week with tutoring and mentoring. And it really, uh, it blew up, you know, and I got to do that full time as my job for 17 years. Wow. As you were speaking, like the, the image that I have in my head is like this huge tapestry 
and you can see how each part of this tapestry is being woven and knit together in your life. And, and oh, yeah. even when you try to run from it, God's saying, like, you're not going anywhere. This is your calling. This is what you're going to do. So how many locations do you have now? There's four locations. Um, there's three of them that are just independent, kind of in an apartment complex. There's one that's a we partner with the church and do it kind of in their kids' area, which they don't use during the week. Yeah, yeah. And there's apartments nearby, so kids get to come. We get to just serve them and bless them. And I'm not the executive director anymore. Joshua is, who's doing an incredible job yeah. there. I'm still on the board, though, and still really an advocate for, for growth and just seeing God use it to bless more kids. Yeah. What are some of the challenges you've experienced throughout the year in ministry? Yeah, challenges. Wow. You know, wow, where do I start? Uh, money? No. I mean, that's really the biggest thing is, is you know, if it's God's work, he's going to provide, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's going to be in it, and he's going to sustain it. And and that's been a faith journey, is saying, you know, it's nonprofit work, right? So where does, where does the money come from to to be able to work and do this full time, where it comes from the generosity of the community. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Las Vegas that people don't realize is that there's, you know, majority of our city have their transplants, you know, mm-hmm. and not only are they transplants, but they're transient. Mm-hmm. And so you get people who come here for an opportunity and they're here for four or five years, they leave. And so in terms of like people's investment into this city and the, in the, the real, the culture, the infrastructure of this city, it's very low. You know, because people have lived here for 20, 30 years and you say, where are you from? And they say, well, you know, I'm from Alabama, you know, because <laughs> they lived there for 10 years or whatever, yeah. you know. And so there's not a lot of investment. And it's 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 really kind of a really small pool of nonprofits here in the city. And, you know, I really am envious of these, you know, other cities that have all these foundations, all these, you know, mm-hmm. just this uh, this rooted uh, community. But what I know about Las Vegas and why I feel like God called me to start a nonprofit is that this is a town of of new things and, you know, really ambitious new things. And I feel like that's even in the, in the, in the kingdom realm, you know, when it's not just, you know, these casinos you see on the strip, they're right. ambitious and huge and people flock. It's, it's even... I mean, I've seen God just do some really incredible things with the ministry that's been happening, not only just with kids, right? You talked right. about kind of the, you know, the other, the dark side of the sex trafficking industry. Yeah. There's a lot of friends I know that are making headway there and, and rescuing women from that and doing some incredible work. My wife's been, been involved in some of that. And so, I mean, there's there's just a new thing, you know, that's yeah. that's here and, and God's continuing to to do that, which is really cool. Yeah. No. So what are some of the challenges that you deal with when you deal with different ethnicity and, and the families? Like you have to go in and get them to trust you yep. with their children, especially. Yeah. Right. And you, you don't see that a lot of people coming in and they just want to help you. Like they think there's always an agenda. Yeah. How do you get over that trust? Yeah. I mean, really my, uh, you know, this ministry is with the overlooked and underserved. And mm-hmm. so, while at one hand there are obstacles when it comes to um, engagement, you know, maybe it's first impressions, you know, I've always kind of been sensitive to that, that, you know, I'm an outsider in these communities, yeah. you know, I look different um, than a lot of them, just the color of my skin and kind of how I've, you know, my culture that I bring in. And so I have to be sensitive to that, but I also know like 
you know, there's such a lack of resources yeah. and it's, 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 it's humans is mm-hmm. the real, it's not really just money, you know, it's, it's people who are, um, you know, mature and can be a mentor, can be like that. You know, one of the big things that we're experiencing is this, this, this epidemic of fatherless homes, right. Mm-hmm. Of these homes that don't have, um, you know, someone, not just like the biological father, but just a male figure that's a positive influence on kids. Um, and it really is a, something that like, it breaks my heart because I think even sociologically, you can find that just the disadvantage that, that hat that creates in a, in a young uh, person's life when they don't have that kind of person, that male figure in their life. And so one of the neatest things is just kind of being able to kind of offer that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, more and more people should really consider like if I, cause here's the thing about mentoring, you know, mentoring can be formal, but a lot of, can, a lot of it can be just, just really informal. Right. And I think that's where kind of a lot of the best mentoring happens is that when you're, when you're in a situation where you're like, I just need to go to Lowe's for a little bit, you know, to get some stuff, man, why don't you just bring someone alongside you? Or, mm-hmm. you know, for example, one of the, the things I've one little side thing I've been doing is is helping these these inner city kids learn how to drive. Mm-hmm. Most of their parents do not have cars. And if they did, they wouldn't have a car to necessarily like teach their kid. And so, man, I'm teaching a kid. He's, he's not a kid anymore. He's 25. Um, but he was, I knew him when he was in middle school at Club Christ and we've stayed in touch. And so, uh, you know, I, on, a, on a Friday afternoon or on a weekend, I'll stop by for an hour and, you know, I'll, I'll have him ride around the neighborhood and stuff. And his driving test is in two weeks and he's going to use my car to take his driver's test. Cause you know, yeah. he doesn't have any other vehicle and you know what that's going to do for him. It's just going to open up a realm of possibilities right. where he can move forward in his life, you know, and I'm working on him getting him in the college and getting him graduated soon. So there's a whole nother kind of thing with that. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the challenges, I mean, you know, I think a lot of us kind of like write our own narrative when it comes to I'm I'm too different or I'm, mm-hmm. this is too much. We've yeah. always had a hard time finding volunteers for our older teens yeah. because when you get older, you know, for kids, there's kind of this, this universal acceptance and they're just kids. But when you get to be a teenager and you're like, you know, like you got the slang and you know, you got, you look a little different, you're a little hard around the edges. They live in a different realm. Oh my, yes. Oh my. And yeah. you're trying to be like, how can I relate? Yeah. Well, it's the universal language of love. Yes. It really is. You know, like you can't, you can't deny the fact that like if someone is, is known yeah. and loved, that's, that's the secret sauce, right? Yeah. To transformation. And when you spend time with someone, man, one of the greatest kind of, uh, volunteers we we've ever had is this guy named Larry, and Larry's an older white gentleman who goes to a pretty conservative church uh, across town. And what he does every Monday, he'll get on his bike, mm-hmm. and he bikes from his home, which is about I would say ten miles away from our center, uh, to the center, and gets there. And he spends an hour in our Bible study with our teenagers, who are you know young African American, mm-hmm. you know boys and girls, you know. Uh, who are very different from him because he is is using his senior years, his older years to invest into the next generation. And and that kind of like courage. Yeah, yeah. We need more, right? 
We yeah. need that cross-generational ministry. Yeah. I mean, wow, you said a lot there, and a lot went through my head, but I wrote down some things. Um, I think uh, I read this book, Neighborly. Mm. Before I go to that, I, w- I want to say, uh, to solidify what you were saying, that people want to be seen and they want to be heard. Yeah. And they want to know that they're loved and yeah. feel a sense of belonging, right? But this book, I don't know if you've read it, Neighborly. I haven't. And um, what you are talking about is like the epitome and the basis of this book, which is... I don't think you go in and you try to fix things. You try mm. to figure out what people want. Because yep. a lot of time churches and nonprofits, they go in and, and they think they know what people need based on their needs. Yep. Right? And they go in and try to fix things. And I see you going in and loving people and really digging into what their needs are. Yep. They need to drive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get in the car. You need to go to Lowe's. Mm-hmm. I want to take you to Lowe's. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do these things. And and um, that's the best way, you know to do ministry and, and to draw people to you because you're not making them feel like you are the fixer and you know yep. what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. Have you have you encountered any challenges in that space? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, especially when it comes to cross-cultural yeah. uh, ministry too, you have to be sensitive to that reality. Yeah. Right, one of the things we, we were sensitive to in our approach to bringing, you know, bringing resources to these communities mm-hmm. was that people would often give us clothing to pass out or they'd give us, you know, some of their old toys or whatever. They just kind of kind of dump their stuff on us. Yeah. Um, and what we found was we were like, you know, we don't want to ever look, have the perception that we're these essentially white people in this neighborhood giving out free stuff. We wanted to be a neighbor and not be seen as like, hey, what can I get from you? We wanted to have that mutuality, you know, and we really have worked hard to establish that. And so, cause it can be very easily, especially, you know, when you you, you work in communities that have kind of the, the welfare system has been on kind of like conditioning, generational kind of poverty. Mm-hmm. You really have to be careful not to feed into that kind of, uh, I don't know, like this- Stigma and mentality. Yeah, this yeah. mentality that, you know, it's just, it's just me, me, me. And that was one of the things that we made sure we incorporated too, is like serving opportunities for these these kids in these yes. inner city contexts. Like we took, man, we took these inner city kids down to Mexico to serve. Yeah. And that was gnarly. That was so <laughs> eye-opening for them. It was super Did dangerous. Did you go to YWAM? Did you go to YWAM? We didn't. We partnered <laughs> with this other organization, but like uh-huh. we went to this drug rehab facility um, in Ensenada. And it was the most beautiful picture of God's love is, you know, it was this moment where we had all of our teenagers there uh, giving manicures and pedicures to these these women uh, at the essentially just had this drug rehab facility had, had had taken in women that literally were at the bottom, you know, of their life and just trying to recover. And they hadn't they hadn't had someone take the time yeah. to really, you know, like serve them at that like intimate level. And man, I just got to see all of these teenagers just serve so lovingly um, and and be, and be patient and kind, you know. And I was like, man, if we could, if you could see the next generation do more of this, yeah. Oh, we got a lot of hope for the future, and you know. You give them purpose, though. Totally. Right. You found purpose, and and it's not what what you you're doing with them. It's not giving handouts. It's that you are giving them purpose yes. and them see there's more to life and they have a reason to be here and they can do so much more and be so much more and have so much more. Yes. 
Yeah. Yes. That is great. Mm -hmm. So tell me a success story. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, you know, the things when you talk about mentoring, we do bring a lot of generational kind of baggage mm -hmm. um, to our stories, right? We all have this, this kind of like layer, like, um, and, you know, it, there's a saying that I love that's, you know, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. Yeah. And there's even a, a sense that like, man, there's stuff that kind of haunts us. So one of the things I, I talk about, you know, kind of fatherless homes being a thing. Well, the reality had been, you know, uh, you know, you didn't see a lot of people who were married in these neighborhoods. Mm. And so for me, I became an apologetics for for the institution of marriage for these young, especially these young men who just were like, I don't know, why am I going to get married? Yeah. You know, like, we're just going to get divorced or, you know, I could just, you know, live with my girl, whatever. And so one of the things that was really incredible was this story of this this young man named London who I met when he was in middle school and got to just see him uh, choose to follow Jesus, you know, when he was in high school. And God really just did a radical work in him. He met this really cute girl that he fell in love with, you know, and we, you know, would talk about that, you know, and we'd go out to lunch or whatever. And one day we were out to lunch and he said, Hey, I think I'm going to, you know, pop the question. And I was like, Oh, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, but here's the thing. Like, I'm kind of nervous because he starts sharing his story of his family. Mm -hmm. He said in three generations of my family, there's not been one wedding. No one has gotten married. And I don't know what it even look. I've never been to a wedding. And I don't know what that even entails, what that looks like. And I said, don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out. And so I made some phone calls. And a good pastor friend of mine was like, hey, I'll open my church up. My story is just like that. Yeah. And, man, at this wedding, it was incredible. The, the sad thing was, you know, we show up at this wedding. And, you know, he comes from a you know, single parent home, his mom, he's got seven siblings. Um, and one of his cousins was going to be the, the ring bearer. And it's like 30 minutes before the wedding starts. And he, he comes to me and he's like, Hey, my mom's not coming. Oh. And man, it like, it broke my heart. And I, man, I just knew at that moment, right? Like God had positioned me yeah. to kind of step in the gap for him in this in this moment and i said don't worry about it you know and I, my little boy was there and i said why, why don't you have owen go and do uh be the ring bearer and he's like well you know what are you and i was like yeah so he he was he got to be the ring bearer the wedding was beautiful and at the reception you know i got to be the one that did the toast right i got to be the one that affirmed him and said look you know this is this is this is a young man who's who's proved himself, you know, yeah. as as trustworthy, and you can trust him. Uh, and so it was beautiful. It was one of those things that's like, man, that generational, really uh, burden over his life was broken in that day, and he's going to be able to then set the example for his kids in the future. Wow, that's really powerful, Evan. I'm emotional from it. <laughs> you make me cry. Um, breaking those general generational curses are mm -hmm. like so powerful because they are so strong they are so being able to unlink them and give those kids freedom is mm -hmm. amazing 
I would love to have you and him on my podcast. Oh, yeah. So he can share his story. Oh, it'd be great. Yeah, I think so many people and kids would be encouraged by oh, yeah. it to know, like, you know, we, we can take that different direction. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. So what's next for you? What's next for me? I mean, yeah. here's the thing. You know, I really, when you talk about being a fisher of men, yeah. you know, that's that's essentially, my heart is just to go after guys that are disengaged at church. Yeah. I see too many men these days really just being drugged to church and having, you know, their, their significant other, you know, whether their girlfriend or their wife, you know, lead spiritually, which is, you know, again, it's not a bad thing, but like what I do see, you know, is, is the church needs men to step up and it just takes really, they just need to be initiated into that. Mm -hmm. I mean, invited and initiated and it takes, it takes another man to kind of push a little bit, you know, sometimes. And, you know, I just love that kind of ministry of activation and having, having men just, uh, kind of like step into their own essentially with just a little encouragement, you know, you know, I have a weekly, you know, meeting with a couple guys and we've been going through the new Testament. So we read a couple chapters a week, uh, and we talk about it, but what really is important is we're developing the habit mm -hmm. of being in God's word and then also opening our hearts to each other when it comes to our struggles. And I think guys have a hard time doing that. Uh, and we need to have intentional time to do that. And so like my hope is that, you know, I can kind of encourage more men in this city to do that. And my wife is doing it on the other side, mm -hmm. right? My wife Scott Vanessa has the citywide ministry called Ignite Life. And and she's doing incredible work. I know she's been on this podcast, yeah, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, all around the city, just really, you know, providing that kind of safe place for women to encounter God and be vulnerable and and share their yeah. burdens. And so I'd love to kind of see more of that happen for men. Awesome. She's different from you. She didn't want questions. <laughs> <laughs> she's natural. I know. She's amazing. She is natural. She's natural. Mm -hmm. um, well, well, thank you for sharing that. How can people come alongside Club Christ and partner with you? Yeah, Club Christ is just, you know, go to their website, clubchrist.org and kind of shoot them an email if you're interested in more information. Um, if you're here at locally in Las Vegas, there's a lot of needs for more tutors and mentors, people just willing to just play a game with the kid, you know, spend time with them. You know, you don't even have to be a Christian, you know, to, yeah. to do that. You know, it's just really, we have a whole education side that, uh, you know, just helps kids kind of get by, right? And uh, in school and, and so, yeah. So, I mean, just check out the website and, and you know, clubchrist.org. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Evan, for being the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm and um, following your calling and your mm. purpose. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Any final takeaways? Man, Sally, I just, you know, say yes to, if God's, if God's got something on your heart, and there yeah. may be someone listening who hasn't done anything, you mm -hmm. know, who's just sitting on an idea or a thought or a dream, you know, I encourage you to do something with it, you know? Mm whether it be just a drive around the city, make that phone call, yeah. set up that appointment with someone that you've been meaning to talk to, man, do it because life is short, you yeah. know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of need out there and we got to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah. Thank you again. And you know, my takeaway is, um, find your purpose, mm -hmm. finding your purpose in life and living a purpose-driven life is so powerful. So thank you again for listening. See you next time.